It was this time of year, uh, 13 years ago, I was invited by my friend Joe to come down to Nashville, Tennessee. Joe wanted to get some friends together over the weekend, and I tell you, we had a fantastic time. It was an amazing time together. We ate a lot. We played a lot. We went hiking and saw some amazing sights in Tennessee. We enjoyed each other, and, and we enjoyed our time together. And as the weekend was coming to a close, that Sunday afternoon, Joe threw the invitation open wide and gathered us all at a park pavilion there in Nashville in a, in a community park. People from, from the community came and joined us and Joe fed us all fried chicken. And it was just such an amazing event. It was just such an amazing place to be uh, with such a, uh, such a variety of people. I mean, here we were gathered together all because we knew Joe and all because we, we kind of knew each other. And it was a variety of faiths. There were some people there with no faith at all. And yet Joe, being the Southern gentleman that he always was, as we began our dinner together that night, Joe said to me in his, in his Tennessee accent, Brett, would you return thanks for us tonight? And so I got to pray at that gathering. You know, that's, that sticks in my mind still to this day is one of the best parties I've ever been to. And I've been to some great parties because it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter where you were from. You were welcomed at that party and you were treated like family. You know, in, in Luke chapter 15, the Pharisees, in verse 1, the Pharisees are grumbling about Jesus. And they say of Jesus, well, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. <laughs> And so Jesus, in response, tells three stories. He tells a story about a lost sheep. He tells a story about a lost coin. And then finally, he tells the story about a man who has lost his son. The shepherd of the sheep, he, he finds his lost sheep. The, he calls his friends together and he says, Rejoice with me, the woman who has lost the coin. She finds her coin. She calls her friends together and says, Rejoice with me. But the one that takes the cake, or kind of takes the fatted calf, actually, is the third story. The man whose son came back home. Because that man, the father, the father doesn't just call his friends. He calls everyone from all over. Family, friends, servants, they all come together. He calls everyone he knows to come and celebrate with him. You probably know the story already. It begins in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, that is, and Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and I perish here with hunger? I will arise 
and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son, who was in the field, and he, as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You know, I, I bet most of you are familiar with that story. You've, you've probably heard it once or twice. I'm, I know I've preached it once or twice. Sometimes knowing a story well means that we just take for granted what's written there and, and we kind of miss some of the important details, as subtle as they might be. And that's what hit me as I read this story again over the last few weeks as I was preparing for this message. I, I came to a verse that struck me in a way it had never struck me before. And I had never seen the importance of it. The, the very last verse, verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Do you hear it? It was fitting. It was fitting to celebrate. It is required that we celebrate. The son has come home. Grace has happened. And the only response that's fitting is celebration. It is fitting when we celebrate, when we see God's grace in the lives of another person, no matter who that person might be, no matter what they might have done, no matter what hurt they have caused and even caused us, the fitting response to grace is celebration. And you and I can't miss that. It's summed up in the end of this story with the, the only response that we must have to God's grace. What that last verse shows us is celebration is the correct response to God's grace. I have to say, as much of a fan as I am of the ESV, the American Standard Version Bible, which I read from, I'm not that keen on their translation of verse 32 with those words, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. Fitting. Maybe it's the problem with fitting. Maybe it's because I'm 
Maybe it's because I'm not used to my clothes fitting, <laughs> especially after a celebration. The NIV, which we also love, the New, New International Version, it, it translates it like this. It says, we had to celebrate and be glad. I love that. We had to celebrate. The, the New Living Translation also says, we had to celebrate this happy day. And even, even the old King James Version of the Bible, it says, it was meat. <laughs> it was meat that we should make merry and be glad. <laughs> it was meat. That's M-E-E-T, by the way. It's an old phrase that means it was the only response possible. It was the only thing we could do. It was the proper response. It was meat. It was important that we do this. And what we need to see from this verse is that there, there is no other response to grace than celebration. And unfortunately, very often, that's, that's not our response it's not the response we're always willing to offer. Sometimes when somebody receives grace, our response is not celebration. Sometimes it's suspicion. Sometimes we look at people suspiciously and we wonder, well, have they really changed? Is this all just a show? Is this, is this some attempt to get themselves out of trouble and make themselves look good? We're not the first to do that, by the way. Way back in the book of Acts, we meet a man named Saul of Tarsus, and later he becomes the Apostle Paul. But when Saul of Tarsus came to Christ, when he became a Christian, when he gave his life to Christ, it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, that he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Boy, does that sound familiar? <laughs> we still do that. We haven't changed all that much. I remember many years ago, a friend of mine who had lived a rough life, a life of a lot of drinking, a lot of partying, and a life where he made a lot of mistakes. He started coming to church. And he started listening, and he started reading his Bible. And, and I remember watching him as he became convicted, and I remember when he decided that he wanted to be baptized. And I remember those who responded with, well, just you wait. Just you wait. He'll, he'll go back to the way he was. And you know what? They were right. He slipped back into that old lifestyle that he had known before. But sometimes I wonder, if what, if it, what if instead of suspicion, what if we had responded with celebration? What if we had encouraged him more? What if we had celebrated with him more? What if we had challenged him more? What if we had blessed him with our celebration of, his, of the grace that he had received? The correct response to grace is celebration. People need us to celebrate God's grace with them. But you know, more than that, you and I, will never understand grace until we learn to celebrate it in others. We will never understand what God's grace has done for us until we learn to see it and celebrate it in others. We will never realize that you and I have been recipients of amazing grace until we see that in other people and see that, that we were lost that we were far away from God, that, that we were as sinful and we were as hurtful as, as anyone else. The Father said we had to celebrate. That is still the correct response to God's grace. There's more to it here, though. 
Look a little closer at verse 32. And we also see that celebration is the community response to God's grace. You can't miss it. It's right there in verse 32, again, quoting from the NIV. We had to celebrate. It's not just the father who was busy watching for his son. Remember that? The father was watching and waiting for him. In verse 20, it says, The son arose and came to the father, but when he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. It's not just the father who's been waiting, but the family. And not just the family, but the servants and the neighbors and everyone comes. We is a very important word in this verse because it includes the father. And yes, it even includes the older brother. It included the Pharisees who had said of Jesus, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. They weren't going to celebrate those who had been received by Jesus. The older brother wasn't going to come to the party. Verse 30, in fact, in verse 30, the older brother says, when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. You know what? He ain't wrong. (laughs) He isn't wrong here. The whole story details what the younger brother did. Verse 13 says he squandered his property. He squandered his inheritance on reckless living. And then suddenly trouble comes in that country far away. And there is a famine. And he is forced to, forced to sell himself to a pig farmer to care for the pigs. And you and I can't miss that this is a Jewish story, right? We can't miss that to the Jews, pigs are unclean. And really what that event, what that little detail tells us is that the younger brother has lost himself. But what has the older brother lost? He says to the father, this son of yours. He doesn't say this brother of mine. He says, this son of yours, the older brother, has lost his connection to the younger brother. He has lost his connection to the one who is unclean. But in doing so, he's lost his connection to the father. I wonder how often we have stood in judgment of other people. I wonder how often we have stood in judgment instead of standing in celebration of God's grace. How often have we put walls up between ourselves and someone else? And those walls have said clean and unclean, worthy and unworthy. And what does that cost us? You know, joy, joy and celebration, it's it's the only option that we have. Grumbling, grumbling cuts us off from our relationship with others. And ultimately, it cuts us off from our relationship with the father. The older brother shows up. And he shows us that it's not enough just for us to keep God's commands. We have to join the party. We have to learn that forgiveness is is worthy of celebration. Thirteen years ago, I went to Nashville for that party at that park pavilion where Joe called all of his friends together. It was five years ago in June that I got a, I had that phone call you don't want to get. It was a phone call telling me that Joe had passed away. That was hard to take. 
I had just seen him two weeks earlier, and two weeks earlier I saw that Joe was moving a little slower. He was breathing kind of heavy. He had, he had gained some weight, but none of us, none of us had any idea that death was, was that near. And so in July, five years ago, our family headed down to Nashville for a few days, and we went to a memorial service for Joe. <laughs> I had directions in my GPS to get me to the memorial service, and it was not surprising that those directions did not lead me to a church, and they did not lead me to a funeral home. Those directions led me to that same park and that same pavilion where we had gathered for a celebration, for a party those years earlier. And we gathered that day, and we remembered that day. And you know, they let me pray again. You know, they actually let me preach and share not only a little bit about Joe's life, but let me share the gospel that day. You see, people in our lives, there are people in our lives who need us to celebrate with them now. There are people in our lives that need us to celebrate with them now because someday, someday they will need us to mourn with them. Someday they will need us to remember them. And you know, that's what a community does. That's what a church does. Celebration is the community response to God's grace. And that leads me to one other thought about verse 32, this last verse in the story. We had to celebrate. And that's because celebration is the ceaseless response to God's grace. In the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd leaves the flocks and he heads out and he searches for that lost sheep. <clears throat> In the parable of the lost coin, the woman lights a candle, she sweeps the floor, and she searches for the lost coin. Did you notice, though, that the father, the father never searches in this third story? He doesn't go down to the he doesn't go to that distant country and track his son down. He doesn't head to the pig farm to see how his boy is doing. Instead, he simply waits. It says there in verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He waited for him. The father doesn't search, but the father watches. The older brother returns and asks the servants, what's the commotion? And the servant says, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. He has received him back. No searching, no sweeping, no looking, just receiving. It all sounds very passive. Does that, does that speak to the father's lack of care? No. It speaks to his restraint. It also speaks to his trust. Trust that a foundation that had been laid long before, a foundation of love and care, a foundation of even forgiveness was always going to be there. And that when you need me, when you need to come home, I will be here for you. No matter what was happening in the moment, that foundation was still there. That foundation was still sure. That foundation was trustworthy. You might need to hear that. You might need to hear that right now because some of you, some of you have people that you love who are far away from God. 
It might be a child or a grandchild who's taken a direction in life that you can't understand and you certainly can't support. It might be a friend that you've watched drift further and further away from who you knew them to be and the values you knew them to have. Listen, you and I need to understand God's not written the last chapter of their story yet, and so we have no right to write the last chapter of their story either. Can you see them today? Maybe, maybe see them a long way off from God and still seek grace for them. Can you do something to extend that grace in anticipation of the joy of their return? Celebration is the ceaseless response to God's grace because it's a response that we will continue for eternity. Celebration is the ceaseless response to God's grace. We do not give up on the grace of God because it's not given up on us. We don't cease to pray. We don't stop asking. We don't stop seeking. We don't stop watching. And we hold out hope that one day, one day, we will get to celebrate together. Verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. That's where the parable ends. And that bugs me that it ends right there. It bothers me because at the end of the parable, we don't know what the older brother did. We have no idea what the older brother did. Did he come in and join the party? Or did he walk off? never to enter the Father's home again. What do you think? Did he finally have his Father's heart for his brother? Did he finally celebrate? Did he, did he grab himself a slice of fatted calf and join the dance? Did the Pharisees? This man receives sinners and he eats with them. And for that matter, do you and I, do we welcome the prodigal home with celebration? Do we lay aside our suspicion and our doubts? And do we trust the same grace that saves us? Jesus doesn't tell us what the older brother did. He does that because he trusts you and me to finish that story. We finish it in the way we celebrate others when we celebrate God's grace towards others, we receive his grace for ourselves. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We have to hear those words in yet another moment, don't we? We have to hear those words between Jesus and his father. He was dead and is alive again. That's what he did for you and me. That's what we remember when we come to communion. That's what he endured for us. And when we come to the table, we come to celebrate and remember what he went through for us, his death, his resurrection, because the only fitting response is not just that you and I remember, but that we celebrate. Because without his sacrifice, we would have no relationship to the Father, and we would have no relationship with each other.
and we would have no promise for eternity. Let's pray as we begin to celebrate. Father, we thank you so much for the promise that we receive through your Son. Lord, like that younger brother, there have been times in our lives when we were far away, and yet in your grace, you never stopped looking for us. You never stopped searching. You never stopped waiting. You're always ready to receive us home. Lord, there are people in our lives who are far from you right now, but they're near to us. They're near in our hearts. Lord, let us never give up on your grace. Let us never take your job and try to write the last chapter of their lives. But let's trust your grace. Let's continue to hold out your grace and hold out your love and show them, show them uh, the God that loves them, the God that forgives, the God that will welcome them home. Bless this, bless this loaf that reminds us of the body broken. Bless this cup that reminds us of the blood shed. Bless this that reminds us that your son was dead and is alive again. And because he lives, we can live with him for eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Go in peace. <music>